0: Welcome to the Access Ninja Podcast, Episode 1, The State of Apple Accessibility. Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of the Access Ninja Podcast. My name is Jonathan Campbell and I'm here along with Rachel Magario. Hey Rachel.
1: Hello Jonathan and hello everybody else that's hearing.
0: Well, thank you for joining us. We're going to be covering three main topics today in our podcast, and we're going to do a little bit of introduction since this is our very first podcast, so those of you who are listening may not be familiar with the work that Rachel and I do. Uh, We're going to be covering today uh, what's new in accessibility for Apple. Apple made a huge announcement at the developer conference showing off what's new in iOS 8 and macOS 10 Yosemite, and there's a lot of cool things in that we're going to talk about Uh, We're then going to discuss the accessibility of uh, Mapple over the years, so kind of review some of their history, and then we're going to talk on a more personal level about how accessibility that uh, has happened in Apple products and design and products as a whole, how it affects people's lives, so kind of bring it home with a why this is all so important.
1: It doesn't affect, Jonathan, it transforms.
0: That's right, that's right. So um, if it's all right, Rachel, I'm gonna go ahead and and start my introduction. Go for it. Uh, My name is Jonathan Campbell. I work currently as an assistive technology specialist at the Pacer Center. And what that basically means is I work with parents and professionals and talk about how technology can improve their lives by demonstrating assistive technology, meeting people, and helping them find out what technology works best for them. Uh, doing workshops for professionals. I've gotten to do some traveling. I've been out to India, did a keynote address for an international uh, conference on assistive technology out there. And I've been out to DC and uh, Pennsylvania. They've got meeting some great people and kind of sharing how technology can improve lives. I also run the website, love it to bits, which is a blog about Apple stuff and Apple tech. And also I work with a friend to create some apps. Right now we've got an app called the Visual Currency Calculator, which is an app for counting money designed for children and individuals who want to find a quick way of adding up uh, U.S. currency coins and bills.
1: It's also great for teaching people that have cognitive disabilities how to handle money. So... Don't sell yourself, shirt.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's a fun app. Uh, we did it as an experiment, and it's been uh, a whole lot of fun, and it gets us uh, really knowledgeable about the back end, and there's a couple other apps we're working on, but until we get closer, I don't want to discuss those in detail, but we'll see make makes some exciting stuff coming from there, so... Before that, I also worked as a respite care worker working individually with kids with disabilities, a lot mostly teens, although I did for uh two summers uh work in an early childhood program and so I got to work hands on and got to take kids out into the community uh, everywhere from uh, physical to intellectual disabilities to learning disabilities or kids just with to troubled home lives as well. So I've got experience hands-on. I've got experience at Pacer. And before and in-booting and all that, I did spend uh, four years working Apple retail as a specialist and then as a creative doing training as well. I got to build some great relationships with some of the older uh, older people coming in wanting to learn this technology because they said I was very patient and was able to Put things in a way that made sense and made them comfortable. But.
1: Hey guys, what you don't know is Jonathan is also from Minnesota, so he's really nice. You know, Minnesota nice.
0: I spent some time in Connecticut doing the one to one trainings at Apple. And the funny thing was, when I was working with somebody new, uh, usually about halfway through the training, they would say, You're not from around here, are you? And I'd be like, Well, how do you know? Is it an accident or something? They said, No, you're too nice. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I'm just I'm just letting people know, you know, that <laughs> is that Minnesota nice part.
0: <laughs> well, that's a that's a rather thorough look at at my history, Rachel. Why don't you tell everybody a, a little bit about uh, your work as well?
1: About my work and my history. All right, um, I am an interaction designer by education, and I've uh, used to work with a mobile design firm um I also have a business background I was kind of tired of hearing the whole accessibility thing oh it's too complicated oh it's too expensive it doesn't meet our bottom line so I said okay fine I'm gonna go do an MBA and I'm gonna see if that's really true so I have that background and I have a cultural geography and communications mass communication background and for my undergrad and oh let's see the start of the two thousands when Jonathan was just a pop now I'm just kidding Um, I started doing accessibility consulting because I'm totally blind and you know people thought well who will understand about this screen readers it's a blind person so people started asking me and then i started doing trainings and eventually i got into very deep into the world of at or assistive technology which you know we should probably explain jonathan assistive technologies because we can't assume that everybody knows so why don't you tell everybody what assistive technologies
0: well you know assistive technology is Roughly in definition, any piece of software or technology that an individual uses to do something that would otherwise be difficult. Uh, Usually when we're talking about assistive technology, we're referring to something that a disability, like a learning disability, making reading difficult using text-of-speech to read it out loud to you. If you had a physical disability and weren't able to press the keys on the keyboard, that would be an alternative keyboard with larger keys or a switch that you could use as an alternative. I like the definition being any piece of technology that is used to enhance uh, a user's ability to use technology or interact with the world around them. Because really, technology as a whole is designed to make things easier. And it's just technology that's aimed towards uh, individuals who usually you know, roughly classified to have a, a disability, something that otherwise would be difficult. But,
1: Well, guys, if you want to know more, just type assistive technology in YouTube. And you're going to find out not only what assistive technology is, but you're going to see the other genius of Jonathan that he didn't tell you, is that he just amazing doing videos. So he made an assistive technology video there for the work that we, uh, the, the place that we work together now, which is uh, the Simon Technology Center at PACER. So that's what we do, and we both have things outside. He's the app developer, and I am an accessibility expert, and I do consulting on accessibility. I'm trying to, com- you know, convince Jonathan to join in, but who knows what's gonna happen there. <laughs> For now, we're having a podcast, so we hope you're gonna have as much fun as we do, and we can share accessibility tips and design. And we also going to talk about development and business, but all in a very high level. So hope you enjoy
0: And I want to get into the, the content here, but there, there's one more thing that you, you kind of brought up with what our goal here is. And I think right before we started recording, we talked about it briefly, which is the idea that when designing, if you take something like accessibility in mind when you start and as you build, the product that you end up with at the end is a better product for that. It's
1: and a better product for everyone,
0: right? Absolutely. It's a better product for everybody when accessibility is kept in mind. I think people forget when people think about making technology accessible, they think about this extra step for this specific group of people. But really what accessibility does is it makes that tool inherently better for everybody whether or not it's adding captions to a video makes it easier for wider groups of people to consume that other than just people with uh, hearing impairment for example or making sure buttons are visible in voiceover makes a much better application and makes you more aware of your design and text-to-speech is something that is used not just by people with learning disabilities or vision impairment that's something sometimes you can do if you want to consume your media without looking at the screen because you want to turn a web page into almost a blog uh, or a blog into a podcast for example and if your text is accessible people can do that type of thing jonathan
1: did you just say vision impairment yes i did and guys he knows my position on that my vision is not impaired just my sight i'm a visionary (laughs) get out of here (laughs) all right well we'll probably discuss about philosophy too because we can never go away from there you know we're always talking about how people feel and what is our opinions and i'm just demonstrating that by teasing him about calling me visually impaired. So, um, so we'll have a lot of philosophy too, and we're going to bring my design and his development background where we can discuss the state of things and where it's going to go. And we also try to bring some value, but we have so much conversations like that, that we said, you know, why not to share, right? People ask us all the time for things. So this way is going to be all here for much more people. Many more people, sorry.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that gives everybody a pretty good introduction to us as a whole. Right. Well, let's talk about this worldwide developer conference that happened and what that means for accessibility. So those of you not familiar, about a few weeks ago, Apple held the Worldwide Developer Conference, which is a big, exciting conference if you're a developer, where Apple kind of puts out there what they're plans are and what tools are going to be available to developers for basically basically to set up what the, what the following year is going to be by showing off iOS 8, which is going to be the new version of the iPod, iPad, iPod Touch operating system, and what's coming new to Mac OS, so for their MacBooks, iMacs, Mac Minis, their desktop computers. And there's a lot of exciting stuff that happened. There's a lot of brand new features, but there's also a lot of accessibility features because Apple has been doing a great job of the last couple of years uh, putting in core new accessibility features, making their devices more enjoyable by everybody. And so I've got a list of the new accessibility features that Apple has formally announced in iOS 8 and Mac OS X Yosemite. So I'd like to kind of go through those and kind of discuss what, what showed up. Uh, for those of you wondering, how did I find out about these accessibility tools? I, I am a developer, so I do have access to a developer account, but Apple actually makes the presentations that they do at the developer conference publicly available. If you go to developer.apple.com, you'll get information about the developer page and you can actually watch videos of their employees and their programmers and their developers showing you what's going to be new. So everything I'm talking about now has been announced in those developer conference videos, although not necessarily at the initial keynote.
1: Come on, are we not going to talk about rumors?
0: Well, I, I do have a potential rumor, something I cannot confirm. It's a small but important one that we'll talk about at the end. All right. Okay. I'm
1: going to wait for that.
0: Well, let's start with iOS because I think of the amount of people probably listen to this podcast, iOS is probably uh, probably some, a tool that they've all had access to. And iOS 7 uh, has had a feature that I know you're intimately familiar with, uh, of voiceover.
1: I'm very hands-on.
0: Very hands-on. And uh, and before they've been using this, um, I'm not sure the name of the voice that voiceover uses in iOS. Do you know if there's a name for that?
1: It's just voiceover.
0: Just a voiceover voice? Well, I, well Mac- the the
1: name of the, the voice itself, the synthesized voice, is Samantha. But
0: Oh, Samantha? Yeah. So Samantha's been this voice, and that's been the voice that voiceover's been using, and um, combining that with uh, the voice of Siri.
1: Well, everybody thinks that Siri and Samantha are the same.
0: They do, I do. I hear that a lot of people think it's the same, but it's not but the same But they're voice.
1: not. Plus, my Siri is a man.
0: Yeah, I think people forget that you can change the, the default gender of Siri.
1: Do you know why my Siri is a man?
0: Why, why is Siri a man? I'm almost afraid to ask.
1: Because when he doesn't get it right, I can just tell him, oh, you're such a man.
0: <laughs> well, there's been this great voice that has been available on Mac OS, but has not been available in iOS, and that is the voice Alex. Do you want to tell everybody a little bit about Alex? For I'm
1: in love with Alex. Alex. Oh, it's so amazing. That. Oh, I tell him all the time I'm in <laughs> love with Alex. Uh Alex is great. Like the voice is not just so amazing. I could show it to you guys now, but I have him quiet for a second here so it doesn't mess up this iPod. I mean this podcast. But Alex is amazing. Like he even breathes.
0: That's actually my, my favorite thing. When Alex came out as a voice for the first time for and I was working at the Apple store, is I used to crank the volume up and put a bunch of Put a bunch of sentences together and be like, listen, Alex breathes.
1: He breathes. Actually, you know, I'm such a lousy writer. So and it's not the blindness. It's not just the excuse. I don't read enough Braille and I don't have a lot of patience. But anyways, the thing is that when Alex came around, I was still in college. And it was amazing because I was trying to write my thesis. And, you know, thesis is not something easy to write. And it's so much editing and it's like the longest paper I've ever done in my life. And Alex actually was reading the, you know, the punctuations with the pauses. And that made comprehension so, so much better. And of course, I have a little bit of ADHD. So I think when you're blind and you put that on top, then it's like, ooh, what are we going to do? So Alex just transformed my life. My papers improved so much. My writing, at least my academic writing, became... Much better than my blogging one. Well,
0: finally, uh, I was very excited when I heard the announcement that Alex is going to be a voice available in iOS for the first time.
1: (laughs) Oh my God, you serious? I did not hear that part.
0: I wasn't sure if you knew. I was kind of keeping that a secret. Okay. Tell you at the podcast. All right. Uh, But they did announce that Alex is going to be available as a voice in iOS for the first time ever. And I don't think I made this very clear earlier, but iOS 8 uh, is the new operating system coming out for, you know, their mobile devices. And that's going to be available in fall. So we don't have an exact date for that. But Alex will be available for the first
1: time. Awesome. Then I'm definitely not going to use any other synthesized voice. (laughs) Well, except for other languages. They do need to make Alex for every language out there. It would be awesome.
0: So another feature that is available is is called the, uh, it's a new speak screen function. And this allows a user who would benefit from text-to-speech. So if you come across a webpage and you wanted to have the webpage read to you, you could do that in iOS 7, but you had to highlight the text on the screen and then hit a button that said speak. And if you wanted to do text-to-speech in iBooks, for example, reading a book, you had to highlight the text on each page individually. You'd have the same problem with voiceover, but if you didn't need voiceover, you're just using text-to-speech, you would have to highlight the text and have uh, have you reselect it from page to page. Well, they have a new feature now that you can turn on that allows you to drag two fingers down from the top of the screen, and it will just start reading everything it sees on the screen. So it would read a full web page out to you. It would read the pages in a book. What's really great in iBooks is if you use that feature and it reaches the end of the page in the book, it will turn the page automatically and start reading the second page for you. So that's going to be a new speak screen function. And apparently, and I, I haven't seen this demoed, but apparently you'll also be able to access it with Siri. So you can tell Siri to read the screen for you. And uh, so that's one of the new, new features. I think that'll be very useful.
1: It'll be more than useful.
0: It's also, I, when I did see that demo, when you have it read, there's a special menu that pops up on the screen that allows you to play and pause the recording and also increase and decrease the speed. Because before, when you used just speak selection, you'd have to go all the way back to the settings menu to adjust the, the speaking rate. And playing and pausing was kind of a... So a people with well.
1: dyslexia will like really love this feature.
0: Absolutely. And I am I love this feature because I like to have my, my iPad or my iPhone read to me from time to time. They added a new feature. Um, there was definitely an emphasis in iOS 8 of improving some of the uh, vision tools specifically. So they have added a grayscale mode before they had a, a color inversion, but now they've added a grayscale. So it will turn the screen uh, just black and white tones. Uh-huh. And in addition, they've improved the zoom tool. So the zoom tool was the screen magnifier that existed on the iPad. And although very useful, it was a little complicated to use. You had to do these three finger gestures. So you'd have to, to increase or decrease the zoom, you'd have to double tap with three fingers, hold on the third, on the second touch, and then move your fingers up and down on the screen to change magnification When magnify the entire screen. It was usable, but it was a little confusing, especially when trying to show it to a user who's new to a touch interface, for example. The other problem is when you magnified in that manner, it magnified the entire screen. And so if you're doing something where you needed to type, you couldn't look at what you were typing and see the keyboard at the same time. So they fixed all that. The new zoom feature allows you to zoom a portion of the screen, so when it sees the keyboards open, it will move the magnification to the area where you're typing, and it won't uh, also magnify the keyboard out of view, so you'll be able to see it. You can now use a slider to adjust the magnification levels instead of having to use a gesture. And you can also turn on and off those uh, invert colors and grayscale options to adjust the contrast as well. So significant improvements to the zoom feature. They've also added uh, a new feature for video descriptions. And for those of people who may be not familiar with video descriptions, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about why, what that is and why, why adding video description in iOS is a, is a cool thing.
1: Well, video description is the description of a video. <laughs> I okay. guess that's
0: pretty straightforward. No.
1: Well, it's also uh, known as audio description and or audio um, function. And that happens with, you know, if you're totally blind and you cannot see what's going on on the video, it's kind of annoying, you know? So have you tried to watch something, put like a blindfold and watch it and say like, haha, especially when it's playing just music in the background? Oh, that's my pet peeve. But anyways, you can... Um, with audio description you can actually describe the what's going on in the in, in the visual part and and then you can put that into a video and it's kind of like caption for, you know, deaf people, the stuff that's giving not just the text that's being spoken, but also the context of what's happening. The same thing is with audio description, but it's for audio, so whatever I'm not seeing I can actually understand. And It's amazing because once Apple puts this in, it's awesome because I watch most of my television on my phone because, you know, I just love my iPhone. I go with it everywhere. So I always have the TV on and I'm doing other things. So I'm a lot more mobile. But audio description in the phone is just going to totally transform my uh, entertainment experience.
0: My first exposure to video description was by accident. Uh, I My friends are really into the movie Terminator 2. And one of them got the DVD. This was just when DVDs were brand new.
1: But why did they like just the Terminator 2 and not the one?
0: I... I don't know. Well, the Terminator Two is kind of—I mean, it's the cooler movie.
1: Oh, okay. it's
0: definitely the the cooler movie with the liquid Terminator, and uh, I mean, especially being a teenager, it was just the most amazing thing we'd we'd ever seen. And we got the DVD, and one of the things it was when DVDs were new. And one of the things that DVDs could do is they could have separate audio tracks, right? So you buy one right. DVD and you could listen to it in Spanish and English and yes. French, and they had director's commentary which you know would play a, the director talking over the movie while well, it happened and the dvd also had this other d- audio description track which i wasn't familiar with that was and we played it for the first time and it was actually a rather cool audio description uh, i remember there being a scene where uh the terminator is looking for john connor and john connor is mm-hmm. driving a motorcycle down this um waterway uh and the liquid term- terminator's Falling behind in this Mack truck, and they have descriptions. Of this this guy talking over it, and he's like the Terminator pulls a shotgun out of his jacket, and aims it towards the the Mack truck. <laughs> the truck careens over the corner, and I thought was well, this is great. It was like an it was like an audio
1: Yes, it is, and that's what makes it so much fun because, like, I remember uh, I think I watched Harry Potter five. The movie and it had audio description, so I was watching with a. I was in India and I was watching it with a teenager of a friend of mine, and he's like, "Oh, wouldn't it be cool, Auntie, if we saw it with audio description?" And I said, "You kidding me?" Does, and I said, "Wouldn't you, you mind?" He's like, "Of course not. Let's try it." So it was so much fun because uh you know all the DVDs in India come from uh, England not the U.S. version. So I guess the auto description had a woman talking like that. And, you know, like, so I remember when uh, I guess the the girl that Harry Potter liked kind of uh, looked at him and winked. So, you know, it said something like, and Joe turned around and winked, you know? And then, like, I was like, that. It's so cool.
0: So I think we're going to do potentially a future episode on audio descriptions, because this is something that I, I've i been very curious about and maybe talk about, you know, what makes good, what makes bad audio descriptions. Because I imagine people listening to this who are maybe creating videos might want to know, you know, what are some good practices for audio descriptions? So we'll we'll get into that in more detail later, but I want to plant that seed now while we're on the topic.
1: Plant away and let it grow. <laughs> Don't forget to water it though.
0: Well, the nice thing about these video descriptions is it's it's an on-off switch inside of the accessibility settings. So when you have it turned on, if a video you're watching, whether or not that's playing through the iTunes store, like a movie you bought in iTunes, or uh, or an app itself has uh, audio descriptions uh, built into it, it will just start playing them automatically. It assumes that uh, they've had this feature in for uh, subtitles for a while now, and in fact, on my uh, I iPhone and my iPad, I have it set on by default because I actually like to watch movies with subtitles. Because if someone has a strong accent, I have a difficult time understanding Do you have
1: them. understanding what people say? <laughs>
0: yes, I have a really hard time decoding accents, and so uh, those subtitles are really helpful for me. So I have that turned on by default, and if a video has captions, it just plays the captions. I'm I'm a gamer. I play a lot of games. Every single game I play, I turn on subtitles because it helps me keep track of what's going on and not miss anything important hey
1: i just found your disability you have an you have an accent disability i
0: have an accent yes
1: (laughs) you know i want to make everybody disabled in the world
0: (laughs) but yeah yeah and i think there's a lot of people with the accent disability if that's what you want to call it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's not personal, and you know, and, and I'm embarrassed to, to repeat or rewind the video over and over again. I got the subtitles, it's perfect. So,
1: okay, I will keep your secret. <laughs> Everybody else will, don't worry, I'm sure.
0: Well, I'm not ashamed, I'm <laughs> proud as anybody should be. I'm, pr- I'm proud that this is my solution and it works great, and I think everyone should be able to
1: use it. So, awesome. You know what? I'm really worried though, it's about who's gonna put the audio descriptions out there because for example i have netflix and i can tap this little button and it will tell me if i can turn uh the caption on and off or or la- the language you know sometimes it has language but it never has the audio descriptions but when i get the c the dvds from netflix it has the audio description so i haven't given up on the you know the dvd kind of a subscription part but i really wish i didn't have to because i don't like waiting for the dvd to come and i don't like popping the dvd on the dvd player because the dvd player has a menu and that means i need somebody to sometimes to navigate to the play button so i like to watch it on my iphone and sometimes it's not available the other thing that also happens is that you know, uh, I know that sometimes Net uh, iTunes has audio description, but when I play in the phone, it's not available. So I'm sure that's going to work now. But then Comcast is, you know, I only bought cable because they have audio description for a lot of the shows. But unfortunately, I also haven't seen a button that ha- um, allows me to turn that on. So I really hope that all those providers will will start releasing the audio description just like they do with captions right now.
0: I hope so too, and it's nice having this feature show up. I, I know Apple tends to be a trendsetter when it comes to these features, so the fact that they've got it in there will hopefully put it in the on their radar a little more. I know it took quite a while to get captions into Netflix, and that was a complicated issue with who owns the captions, I guess. I haven't investigated that, so I probably shouldn't speak about it, but... I know it well, was a long ho- time coming.
1: Hopefully, Tim already overseed that and made sure that in the negotiations, like you know, audio description, is actually in it. Because like Disney is ridiculous, it has the audio descriptions in it, but you have to actually buy the DVD to get access to the audio description. A lot of the uh, DVDs that you rent doesn't come with it because they say it's an additional one. And I'm like, well, what's the difference? You know, I'm not going to be buying every Disney DVD, although I am a DVD buff. I mean, a Disney buff. Don't tell anybody. I love Disney movies. Oh, I'm princesses. the same. Oh, you well, are? M- oh,
0: maybe a little bit less on the princesses. Oh, but, okay. But, well, I mean, the princesses are great, <laughs> uh, but uh, def- definitely a Disney, Disney guy
1: yeah all right well anyway so i love disney and i really hope that you know little kids especially blankets can have that access and plus i even think that the other kids you know they watch it so much that probably if it has the audio description like they would also think it's cool well they can invite their friends to watch
0: we should definitely cover this topic in more detail i think that would be great but
1: all right let's keep on okay. accessibility
0: So, another thing that they added that I know has been a a big request is the ability for users to install their own custom keyboards other than the Apple keyboard.
1: Oh, that's a big one. Everybody used to say, oh, I like because Android lets me do this.
0: So, yeah, with Android, you could load in um, these alternative keyboards. So, instead of seeing the on-screen regular Google keyboard, you would see... Uh, You could bring up uh, Swipe, which is one where you'd run your finger across the screen uh, to make instead of tapping, for example. uh, And a keyboard that I know that you've got more familiarity with it than I do, Rachel, is uh, one called Flexi.
1: Flexi is awesome. We should definitely do a podcast just on keyboarding. But Flexi is awesome because, uh, you know, most blind people have memorized the keyboard So we know exactly where the letters are. And having to drag your fingers through each letter to hear what it is before you tap, it's really annoying. So with Flexi, you can just kind of type the kind of the shape of the letters in the keyboard. And that will give you a prediction of what word you want. And everything you do is just with swipes. And it's awesome because... You tap 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 and then you swipe and then that already accepts the the word but we should show that it's awesome
0: it is really awesome and as someone who can see the keyboard just fine i found flexi to be a faster keyboard than the on-screen keyboard because it has this great prediction built in and instead of me having to tap this space bar when i finish one word i can actually swipe across the screen to move to the next word and it's actually faster than hitting the space bar so but the only reason why I didn't use it is, in order to write in Flexi on an iOS device, I would have to launch the app, and then the app would have me write, and then I'd have to export out to Messages or Mail. Or, but I like to use the Byword app, and you know, in Byword, I can't use that keyboard. I'd have to type and then copy and then paste. It was never going to happen. But now we're going to be able to actually install the Flexi keyboard and use it universal wide. I know that Flexi has shown that they actually already have it working, although they don't have it perfected. So it's in beta right now, but it should be available when iOS 8 comes out or shortly afterwards. So that'll be one of the keyboards. But in addition to that, Apple's actually improved the built-in keyboard as well by adding word prediction. So as you begin to type, it will try to predict what you're typing, and you can tap on these words to complete what you're writing. So as you start to write my name, which has got a several letters in it, I so it's write, gonna
1: be like a co-writer.
0: It's gonna be like co-writer, which is From another Don Johnston. Yeah, Don Johnson, another really popular uh, word prediction app, uh, and uh, for both desktop and for mobile. And the nice thing about that is if you're a slow typer. Uh, you can speed things up by not having to type the whole word out. Or if you struggle with spelling, it will oftentimes help individuals who have difficulty spelling. You can get the beginning of the word and it will complete it for you. And it's supposed to make things a lot faster when you're just typing with thumbs. So I'll be excited to get my hands in, and try that out when I have an opportunity.
1: Jonathan will get hands on again for that.
0: So in addition to these new custom keyboards, uh, they've also added an ability called extensions and I don't want to go in too much into details because as far as what this can and cannot do it's going to be really interesting to see what developers do with it but what it does is it allows you to take some functionality you have in one app and use it in another app and the best way to explain it is to give the examples that Apple showed at the developer conference so for instance you might be in the Safari web browser and you come across a page, and it is in German, and you don't know German. So you want to have the page translated. Now, there's apps that will allow you to go there and translate it, but this website, you're want to, you doing it in Safari, you just want to browse. And it doesn't have any sort of – you don't want to have to copy and paste a URL into another address. You can actually now tap a button, an extensions button for Safari, and – you can use and the example they use is Bing has its own translation system and they had a functional version of that for the developer conference. So it would have the page in German. He tapped the extensions button, tap the Bing translate and it translates the page right in Safari. So we might see additional functionality where I might have an app that has certain text to speech functionality, for example, and I could tap and, and get access to that tool within Safari. I don't want to speak to what will or will not be there because that's up to developers to decide and build those tools. Another example they had was in the photo app, you might have another app that you have that's got filters or effects or titling effects and things like that. But rather than having to import that photo into that other app you can just tap the extensions button and bring up that ability. So what we're going to see is an entirely new class of application that we've never seen in iOS before that will allow you to enhance an app using tools from another app. So it's another way for them to communicate. It's really interesting. They've managed to keep it very secure because Apple has a lot of security rules as far as what apps can and can't do as far as communicating with each other. It's the reason why iOS has virtually no malware and, and viruses to speak of where well the other mobile operating systems have got you know 99 percent of all the malware out there uh, because they've got this intense security but that's what restricts apps from communicating with each other so they're opening that up with extensions but keeping it secure doing it the apple way so we'll see what comes from that all right and the last iOS 8 accessibility feature I want to discuss is an enhancement to the Guided Access tool. So Guided Access allows you to lock an app in place. So if you've got a child, you want them working on a specific task, you could turn on Guided Access and it locks out the home button. So I can't hit the home button to go back to the main menu. I'm in that app. It also allows you to knock out regions of the screen. So if you're using an app that has an ad or a button in the corner that you'd prefer the user not have access to, you can actually block out that portion of the screen. That's been around, uh, that's been around in iOS 7. Uh, it was introduced in iOS 6, I believe. But what they've added is a new feature called uh, in Guided Access called Time Limits. What time limits will do is once you access – when you turn on Guided Access, you can say 15 minutes is our time limit. And a timer will start going down inside the app, and it will gently alert the user as you get closer and closer to that final time. And then once the time limit is up, it will actually lock the iPad out, and you need a passcode to get back out again. So this will allow parents to set time limits and focus on certain activities on the iPad.
1: Isn't that too controlling?
0: Well, you know, if you've got a child where it's a reward system and you want and the idea of trying to physically take the iPad away when you've reached the end of screen time, it could be a more gentle way of doing it. But it is it is a much more granular control than they were offering before.
1: Hey, you know what I would do if I was a child? (laughs) What would you do? Like it locks itself out, just throw it. I would just throw the iPad like ah! I would rebel.
0: You'd rebel well, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps this new guided access time limit feature will increase the amount of uh, soft, shock-resistant cases that are sold.
1: All right for kids <laughs> like me. Exactly. All right. Well, I'm joking, guys. But yeah, but I do think it's um, you know especially for kids that need um, you know uh, cognitive and executive function supports like guided access is perfect it's used a lot as an assistive technology feature
0: i'll be really interested because like i said i haven't gotten hands-on experience with it yet and uh, it's unfinished so it might change before it comes out but exactly how those reminders go as it gets closer and closer to that time could be interesting whether or not you have control over that
1: yeah and you know it would be even even cooler too if another ipad could be controlling the guided access of another ipad that's in the same wi-fi
0: that's yeah. a very interesting idea
1: yeah you know like for example if it's in the school and they're using for quizzes for example because you know i saw that as uh several teachers that we work with they use guided access for the quiz because then they cannot go like you know browse on the internet and do other stuff to get the answers but it would be super cool if one ipad had the master control of the guided access, and then you know it's like okay, you have fifteen minutes for this pop quiz, and then, and she could lock them all. Or if all the kids are like messing around, you could just say bye bye.
0: Because there has been time limits on Mac OS, but just uh, not iOS. So this is the first time on their mobile they've had that. But that would be a nice feature to be able to have more control like that. I know from a management standpoint you can use and you're distributing a bunch of apps at a school you can use a mobile device management system uh and you can actually lock apps from that uh from a from a server but uh it'd be nicer if it was a nice user interface like you described like one master device that could control them
1: that was my design line working Mm -hmm.
0: so those are the things um as far as what's new in ios 8 that i wanted to discuss um Why don't we move on uh, over to Yosemite, the new version of Mac OS 10 coming out in fall as well. So not as many new features, but there is a big one. uh, And that is from a development standpoint, and that is they've redesigned the accessibility API. And what that means for developers is that when I make an app for the desktop, And I want to make sure that someone using voiceover, screen reader is going to be able to access it. Someone using switch control, switch users can be able to access and move around. Someone who's adjusted settings on the Mac. I want to make sure those settings are reflected correctly in my app. Uh, You used to have to run these more complicated methods. What it meant is that there was a larger learning curve when you needed to take a more complex app and make sure it was accessible and make sure that the buttons and tools like that are going to be Uh, accessible to those users. But they overhauled the way that developers, when creating their apps, make them accessible. And they have made it so that many of these accessibility lines of code that you'd put in are properties. And without getting into development lingo too much, it basically means that instead of me having to learn a lot of complicated code and having to add a bunch of new lines of code, Uh, I can do it much more simpler. In a single line, I could do things that used to take lots of lines of code. and So it makes the excuse for not making your Mac uh, app accessible uh, even less.
1: Okay, now I'm applauding because now I'm going to say to developers, if you don't do this, now you're just lazy.
0: So the nice thing is making it easier uh, for developers means we're going to end up with new software as it's designed for Yosemite being some of the most accessible software or easily adapted to accessible if if they forgot to make it accessible uh, and we bug them about it, <laughs> which we will.
1: Well, and we also, we need to really bring a shout out out there for like Mac developers, you know, Mac app developers, because I think in the assistive technology world right now especially for blindness everybody is so stuck with you can use a mac for work just for your entertainment and that's totally not true right jonathan
0: oh absolutely not i do a lot of work and i've worked with a lot of small businesses and big businesses and creative people and office people desk jockeys uh, and uh, the apple is a great computer for all that work
1: well, and then with for blind people, they say that's not, but that's not true because I work with an iMac and an Air Mac and everything Apple, and I do pretty well. You can't survive on a design company without a Mac. That's how I started using the Mac because they were laughing at my stuff. <laughs> so.
0: so in addition to this new API, so that will mean that hopefully it's easier for developers to make their software accessible. And when we bug them about it, we can, it's simple enough now, we can probably explain like, hey, go into your code and add this, and this will fix it uh, for those developers who are maybe a smaller group and not familiar with those tools. But in addition to that, uh, that audio description functionality in iOS 8, that is the ability to turn on audio description. So when a video plays in a video player, it will try to play the audio descriptions by default. That is there as well.
1: Yoo hoo! Let's see if Hulu gets on the
0: ball too. Another thing they added was new dictation commands. Now I can't comment about this too much because uh, I know it's that a they... rumor. Well, it's it's not a rumor, but there's not an official list that I've been able to see. And I did get a I did load in the beta version of Yosemite on on one of my Macs, but that menu is not currently accessible. Well, and.
1: In. We should tell everybody out there that they actually can try Yosemite if they want. Please don't make that your default. But like Jonathan and I, you can make a partition on your computer and upload the beta. You don't need to be a developer for that.
0: That's absolutely right. If you go to the Apple website, you don't have to be a developer. It's a public beta. Anybody can download and try and give feedback to Apple. Uh, as they finalize it uh, for its launch in the fall. But like you said, Rachel, do not load it on your personal machine that you use regularly because it is beta. It is still being developed. There's lots of bugs. There's lots of known bugs. Some features are going to change and modify. But if you want to know, like, what's the new most cutting edge features coming to Mac OS X, you can do that.
1: Definitely, if you are a screen reader, voiceover user, please, please, please. Do not do that on your personal computer. Have a partition if you have a a backup computer like I do, but don't put it on your personal one because it's not going to be good.
0: That's right. They also added a functionality for extensions inside of the macOS, so those same sort of tools that are going to be able to reach into other applications and add functionality to them.
1: Come on. Let's talk about Continue.
0: Oh, the, the continuity
1: feature yes continuity feature
0: well I wasn't get, I mean that's a great feature in general so there's this new feature that's appearing that is if you on a Mac and you have an iOS device you've got these features called continuity so if for example you started writing a document in pages on your iPad, and you walk over to your Mac, which also has pages on it, you can actually send the work you're doing over to the Mac to finish it or the other direction. I'm writing, my, I'm writing my document in Pages and I can pick up my iPhone. It will detect that I'm working in Pages. I can flip up at the screen and it will load that document right into uh, my iPhone and let me start working on it from there.
1: You know what it reminds me? A little bit of that advertisement the how was it? Was it Chrome? I think that they would open like in different devices and then they were like, oh, I don't know. It was so cheesy. I don't remember now exactly how it was, but this guy would show like the laptop, the whatever, Google Chrome, and then he'll open his Android tablet and then everything is in one place and he would say something cheesy about that. So, but this is the real deal.
0: What's well, great. This is going from a desktop computer or a laptop to an iOS device. So rather than trying to have the same experience on multiple devices, you're having just a continuous experience, but that's unique and optimized for whichever device you're using.
1: Exactly. And that's what makes Mm -hmm. the difference. And it's also intelligent. It's automatized and you don't need to be logged in on your chrome whatever for you know every in every single device that you want
0: so it's it's really nifty i uh, i really wish i could test it out i said i've got the beta version of usemi loaded on uh, a partition on my laptop but i have not loaded it on my mobile phone yet cuz that's my phone that i use for everything and it's not quite stable enough for that so i don't get to enjoy that feature i'll have to wait a little bit
1: but it's so exciting. I mm. cannot, like, wait anymore for it. I am just so thrilled about it.
0: So the last accessibility feature that is new is not necessarily an accessibility feature, but I see it being used in that way, is they have greatly improved Spotlight in Yosemite. So Spotlight is the system-wide search functionality and you could actually get to it by holding on the command key and hitting the space bar. Launch a little search, you type in what you're looking for on the computer. It looks through a giant index of your files and contents and con- calendars and things like that and you can bring up documents really quickly. I do this all the time. We do these consultations uh at Pacer and we write these consult letters and anyways, we all get a call on the phone from somebody and they'll be like, "Oh, hi. You know, we haven't talked in a year. You probably don't remember me. We came for a consult. My name is John Smith, and I can command space, type in John Smith's name, bring up the letter, see it really quickly, get refreshed if I need to, and say, oh, yeah, John, we, you came in last year. We talked about uh, text-to-speech programs, uh, and that's something that's a system-wide search. Well, they've made Spotlight better. Uh, it can also search things off the web, so if I type in a word, it will give me uh, not web page results, but information. So the example they give is they typed in the word Godzilla because the Godzilla movie had recently come out when the conference was going on. And instead of, it was searched for files on the computer. It found Godzilla movies available on iTunes that you could purchase or that are in his media player. He could go and play it immediately. And it actually brought up uh, content from a Wikipedia article. And so that's kind of like with Siri, if you search for certain things in Siri, Siri doesn't necessarily give you search results because you could do that in the browser pretty quickly and you can bring it up but it actually brings you information back which is a, a different way of doing things and when you're trying to get information quickly uh, it can be a much more efficient way of of finding things so i think that's something that a lot of uh, accessibility users are going to benefit from
1: now they really should like install a siri on the mac too seriously
0: that that would be really great actually i that was one of the features i was hoping was going to show up but i haven't seen Siri for the Mac yet, so the closest thing we got for Siri from the Mac is Spotlight, but instead of voice activated, you have to type. Although you could use, I, I could hit Command Space to bring up Spotlight, yeah, and then dictate. hit the function key twice and dictate, but it's not quite the same.
1: All right. But it still works. Yeah. So those. Oh, are- <laughs> by the way, talking about dictation, I tried the Spanish one now for the Mac, and it's awesome. It actually writes down what I say.
0: Oh, that's cool. So, you got your Spanish. Uh, I know that they have support Even for several languages. Even with my
1: accent. Even with my accent.
0: Now, what, is, what would you call your your accent with Spanish?
1: <laughs> I'm actually teasing. Uh, I can imitate a lot of accents, but I speak a little bit kind of Mexican-like now. But i I've done Chilean and Argentinian and so... I would say it's more Mexican now.
0: Mm-hmm. So Too many
1: are, Mexicans mm-hmm. talking to me, you know. Well, so those were
0: the uh, the the brand new announcements as far as accessibility goes. Uh, there's one more thing that that I've heard about and uh, I've experienced a little bit about uh, as far as accessibility goes, as far as changes are, and that is in regards to the iBooks app for desktop. Now, the iBooks app right now, in 10.9, its voiceover navigation is, how would you put it, Rachel?
1: Um, how would I put it? Let me find the right word. I would say is horrendous. No, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> the issue being with, with iBooks on the Mac is when you try to navigate through the books, it and you get to a book title, there's a picture of a book and then there's a title below it. And when VoiceOver navigates to a picture of the book, it just says... Image. Image. Not particularly useful. Now, if you move down, you get to the book title and that will read it. But if I'm not mistaken, that's not interactable. You have to go back up to the image and interact with the image. So it, right. it, it's just not not good.
1: Not intuitive. It's not it's not Apple design. So we sent them some... Not the standards. Standard yes. News.
0: We sent them some some feedback, and um, I was hoping to see an update in 10.9 to fix it. I haven't seen that yet, but I can tell you uh, I, have, uh, I have evidence that iOS 10.10 Yosemite has it fixed, and voiceover navigation in iBooks is really good. And considering it's still technically beta, too, and some, oftentimes some of the voiceover features are not functional until uh, later in the beta stage.
1: And then I say... Is about time.
0: So that's the state of Apple accessibility, looking at the Worldwide Developer Conference and what's going to be coming there. Uh, always excited every year. Like I said, they've got several accessibility, new accessibility features, and they're always improving them. So it's definitely a priority. But let's talk a little bit about the history of accessibility on the Apple platform. Now, you've got a little bit more history than, than I do, uh, because my knowledge of accessibility didn't really get rich until I started working at Apple, which was close to 2004, when it really started to hit my radar. Although I was doing some curriculum adaptations back in 2000, but that was mostly adapting curriculum for touchscreens using Keynote and using an IntelliKeys. Uh, That wasn't any of the built-in accessibility. So why don't you talk a little bit about where accessibility began for Apple, as far as your experience, it goes.
1: Well, my experience didn't start until 2007. And I think that had been just the launch of Leopard, which is, I never remember the numbers, but... Um, so it came out first in 2005, you know, the date. you're well, more t- of an Apple geek than
0: me. <laughs> well, Tiger, Tiger was 2005 and that was yeah. the first introduction of voiceover, uh, to the Apple platform.
1: Right. And it was really, I mean, it wasn't bad, but I wasn't, I wasn't really, I was in college doing like 20 hours per semester and yeah so i didn't have time to tinker so much plus i like to party so my free time was spent on that um so i i didn't really come around to to get into a mac until leopard came around which was the second uh os to have voiceover and that was very amazing because a lot of people you know there's still a myth that a blind person cannot use the mac like I said, professionally, but back then, there was this myth that blind people couldn't use Mac at all, and that wasn't much of a great experience, because, you know, anybody that switches from a window to a Mac, you need, you have a little learning curve there, so I just kept my um, computer for about three months, and I could do a lot of things, but I couldn't interact with things, and I couldn't find a, you know, a manual that really showed me how to, plus I I hate reading manuals. I'm a really bad person. That's why I went into design. You know, I like things to be intuitive. And who doesn't, right? How many of you actually pick up a manual and actually read it?
0: Well, I love manuals. That's good reading. I Sometimes I like curl up next to the fire in winter, pick up the uh, the manual and read. Yeah, nobody wants that.
1: I knew you would say that, Jen. You go sleep with it, right? <laughs> well, I've yeah. seen you doing things without even touching the manual. <laughs> you, i'm a witness
0: you, you know i go hands in i dive heads in first and then no, when you things go, go bad i you, go back
1: you go hands on yeah all right but <laughs> but anyways um i gave back and then i kept reading and then i i finished school and i i joined the the design company and then it was final like okay i need a mac and that was I was still in Leopard, maybe it was in 2008. So then I just said, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna learn this. So I bought my computer again, I bought another MacBook Pro and I really dived in and I really learned, I took the 101. Of course, unfortunately, the store that I bought at, they gave me somebody that understood uh, deaf. So they knew nothing about screen readers and uh, but we but she gave me she was really smart so she tried to get answers and she gave me the basics that I needed then um, and my company there was a person that understood Max a lot so she was hired to kind of help me out and um, later on I found a assistive technology company here in Minneapolis in fact. There was offering a Mac Academy for the blind. So I came and it was a three-day course. And after that, I just fell in love with my Mac. And I have, I think, six months after that, I totally left Windows. Never went back to it. And now the only times I open Windows is for actually, you know, in our work, we have to answer questions and... Give information and in many technologies and we cannot be biased. So that's the only time I open Windows or grab a surface is to answer questions that people have. But for my own stuff or for my work, Windows is totally out of my radar. So for
0: a long time Apple's had a certain degree of accessibility features on the Mac. So they've had a screen magnifier in, I believe back to the original Mac OS ten. Um, I don't know if it came in ten ten point one has been a screen magnifier. Texas Speech has been a feature that's been built into Mac since I think I was all the way back to Mac, Mac OS 10.6. I don't know exactly when it came in, but I remember having a 10.6 machine and making it read. Out loud to me was kind of fun.
1: Oh, and you could change all those voices.
0: I think it was called. And pin-
1: all the good news.
0: Oh, yeah, all those silly, all those silly voices. Those were the coolest things ever. And they was called Plain Talk back then. Uh, and you could do it in the in the text editor, for example. Yeah, and they had all those, they had the bubbly voice, they had voices that were just they were fun, but you know, kind of robotic. And-
1: oh gosh, I love the one that was uh, bad news. I think it sounded like mm-hmm. the Death March, or what is the name of that march? Dun, oh, I
0: do. That's right. He would he would read everything <laughs> to that to that beat or to that to that melody. Yeah. I mean.
1: Let me tell you the bad news.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, you're taking me way back, but
1: those are the times.
0: But it wasn't until well, there
1: is Apple spoken, and I do remember that that was back in '96, I believe don't even remember what computer it was it was definitely not a mac make maybe it was a power mac
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it had a very similar um commands to the first uh screen screen readers for DOS. you know and so it was and then most blind people back then were still using DOS. Very little were using Windows and even the ones that were using Windows still had to use DOS too to support because you can do everything on Windows. And, and these presets like JAWS and all the screen readers we have today, I think the only Windows reader then was uh, called Windows Bridge. And so it was very similar to uh, Apple Spoken or Spoken app, whatever the name was and and it was good. It, I mean it was it was pretty decent. Of course it was still very robotic the voice, but back then all the synthesizers were robotic. And the difference was in the Mac you didn't have to buy a synthesizer. But in any of the PCs you had to buy this, you know, this box that was called a synthesizer and they had different voices and they were all awful. <laughs> no matter which one you got.
0: But there was a moment in, in Apple's history when they switched over to the Unix-based operating system for, in 10, uh, and up until 10.4, which was you know 2005, where they didn't have any screen reader. I mean, they did have the text-to-speech. They did have the magnification, but they didn't have any screen reader. And I remember working at Apple when this new feature came out, and I had a representative for a school for the blind out in Iowa. Uh, come and visit because he was a big Mac guy and he was really excited because this was going to allow him to introduce the students he worked with to his favorite computer, his favorite operating system for the first time in a very long time. And so I remember that being a very big deal and having to learn what uh, voiceover was and what a screen reader was because I hadn't really worked in detail. I mean, I knew what they were in practice, but I had never gotten my hands on one because they were usually pretty, I mean, they were pretty expensive. It was a pretty expensive add-on and you couldn't really just explore it if you weren't familiar with it. And then Apple comes out with this voiceover feature and all of a sudden I've got this, what would on Windows be an expensive piece of software and it came on the computer and I can just turn it on. And I can press a keystroke. In fact, I remember just being amazed that you could buy an iMac, plug it into the wall and turn it on And if you didn't press anything on the keyboard, it would ask you if you needed to use the screen reader. And it would turn it on for you. And I realized that this was perhaps the first, you know, buy straight from the company, open it, take it out of the box, set it up. You don't need a sighted person to do it for
1: you. It's called out of the box experience. It's awesome.
0: It was quite amazing. And so... They introduced VoiceOver. Um, It was a new addition. And ever since VoiceOver was a huge feature, there has been just a slew of new accessibility features. So it used to be like the magnifier and the text to speech and the invert colors were there, but they were stagnant. There was no change. Every new operating system came out. There wasn't a new accessibility feature. I wouldn't be doing a podcast on it with every new operating system upgrade. And now that's the reality of Apple's development cycle is that now they're developing new versions of their OS every year and every year I am delighted to hear about new accessibility and improvements.
1: You know what I really love about Apple? And of course, maybe the people listening, is getting tired that we're saying we're in love with Apple, which we are. <laughs> uh, what I'm really in love with is the fact that I can, you know, send them a feedback, maybe they don't send me an email, but a few versions later or the next you know it's it's solved and i can make updates without breaking anything because i know that they have the screen reader in mind and i will be able to use my voiceover in every transition i mean it doesn't mean there will not be bugs there's always bugs right but at least i am not like fully excluded from updating my system it's awesome
0: and i think one of the reasons why this has become such a priority for them is I remember Tim Tim Cook, I mean, Steve Jobs, he always had a vision of making technology that was easy to use that anyone could pick up and use. And he became aware, or maybe he always was aware, just became more of a priority that in order to do so, accessibility was something they were going to, have to take very seriously and they definitely have. And that's been carried over to Tim Cook. Tim Cook, I think, understands it almost better than than anybody at the company, at least as far as some of the things he's said in the most recent years.
1: Let's share a quote. I know you have a quote. <laughs> I, do, I do have
0: a quote. Uh, and uh, to give you some specifics, on December 10th, last year, that would be 2013, uh, Tim Cook got a Lifetime Achievement Award from Auburn University, uh, and they had an International Quality of Life Awards that they give out. So he was given a, a Lifetime Achievement Award. And during his speech, he said, quote, Now, much has changed since my early days at Apple, but these values, which are the very heart of our company, remain the same. These values guide us to make our products accessible for everyone. People with disabilities often find themselves in a struggle to have their human dignity acknowledged. They're frequently left in the shadows of technological advancements that are a source of empowerment and attainment for others. But Apple's engineers pushed back against this unacceptable reality. They go to extraordinary lengths to make our products accessible to people with various disabilities from blindness and deafness to various muscular disorders.
1: Well, that's when I fell in love with Tim Cook.
0: I think it's, it's what I hadn't heard before. The way that he put it that really got to me was that term uh, human dignity. The struggle to have their human dignity acknowledged. The idea that it, technological advancements that don't take accessibility in mind are robbing people of their human dignity. A there know, was a better call to action, I don't know what is.
1: I could not agree more. Now will stop being the clown, but it's totally true. And, you know, for years I have been saying that in all my speeches that I have for developers and designers. I try to make them understand that, you know, technology has opened a huge door for me professionally and Personally, you know, without technology, I would have never been able to dream to be an attraction designer and actually go to school for it. People would just laugh at my face. And with technology, I was able to do that. And then, but without it, you know, when you cannot rely on the technology because people don't think about it, when you don't have access, you lose your dignity it's like somebody telling you indirectly you don't belong here you know it's kind of like the last kid to be picked on the playground that means that's not even that it's worse than that it's kind of like you have no right to be in the playground get out of here that is the underlying message and that's not cool
0: i think technology is made to make our lives better and to enrich them That's why we do it in the first place and if anybody should be reaping the rewards from technological advancements, it should be those who rely on technology the most, and that's their people who need assistive technology. And they are the ones that should be benefiting the most from these new, these new technologies. Not people, they shouldn't be left behind because of a disability. And I think people often forget, too, that it's not enough to make these tools merely accessible or barely accessible because we make technology to make, to enrich our lives, to make them better, to make it enjoyable. And I think that access should lend itself a level of enjoyment and a level of empowerment, not just a, well, we just made this barely accessible for you. You can, you can kind of use it. That's not acceptable.
1: Well, you know, very well that that's why I went and I did all my thesis around that because I mean, access it's, it's major for you to be able to perform. And the truth is, you know, if they were paying attention to the accessibility as you develop, you'll create a more intuitive product, a better product in the end, which is no different from what Apple does. And then you're able to sell more and have more people happy. And I think that if they actually paid attention to accessibility, then you have a support product and more money automatically but you know you have to have the such the type of commitment that apple has from the leadership down in order to make people think about this because otherwise you say oh it's too complicated well it's not complicated you just need to think outside of the box and have people like us of course that actually understand what people need because if you have no experience with it then it's very hard for you to guess or try to understand what the user needs are.
0: Absolutely. I've got another quote from Tim. It's a little bit more of a fun quote uh, as well, but I think it it also, the fact that he, he followed this up in February uh, 28th of this year, uh, Apple had their annual shareholder meeting, and this got a lot of press, although it got a lot of press as an environmental angle, but the quote itself, I think, uh, speaks for itself as least as far as his opinion about accessibility. Uh, he was uh, being challenged about some of the investments Apple makes and whether or not they have a clear return on investment, or ROI. So he's going to use that term ROI in this quote, which is return on investment. And he was being pushed about that in regards to some of the priorities Apple has in regards to some of their programs, some of the things that they, from their priorities, environmental aspects. And when he was pushed on it, he said, quote, when we make our devices accessible by the blind, I don't consider the bloody ROI. He then later on went on to say, if you want, uh, if you want me to do things only for ROI reasons, you should get out of this stock.
1: Well, and you have to tell people that the guy that was bugging him about it was talking that he really thinks that the, you know, investors should have the right to know the ROI on the and those investments and he should concentrate only in on the bottom line. And I think after that quote, that's when I really fell in love with Tim Cook because I had my doubts, you know, when Steve Jobs went out. But... Um, he has really stand up for it. For human rights and human dignity. And this to me is the big is the big ticket because a lot of business already pay attention just to the bottom line and which is finance. Right? It's everything that shows you is in the number. But guess what? He cannot know for sure on the numbers how many blind people are buying Macs or iPhones. But the truth is He is making a change on my life, on my professional life, and he doesn't even know. And his market is growing. I mean, it's maybe, okay, we're just 1 million blind people in this country, but there's a lot more out there. And I think 1 million is a pretty good number.
0: And to clarify his, I don't, about the stock and about the ROI as as well, is he was being pushed about some of the environmental initiatives that Apple does, which are you know, their way of kind of improving the world and making the world a better place. I I would argue that accessibility is a positive impact on ROI, not a negative impact in many cases.
1: Well, and so is environment, but people just don't realize it.
0: We only got one world, so. (laughs) Well, I think, and also (laughs) considering that renewable energy and a lot of the energy that Apple's been investing money in is probably the future of energy. They're getting a head start on something that a lot of companies are going to eventually play and catch up with in the first place, which is Apple's goal is to skate to where the puck is going, not to where the puck is. And even in their energy initiatives, uh, many times that's exactly what they're doing.
1: Okay, guys, for you Southern's puck is the ball that's used on hockey. I just learned that.
0: Oh, the hockey puck? Yeah. And that was a quote that Steve, the Steve Jobs used to. I think he said his father used to tell him in regards to Wayne Wayne Gretzky's uh, uh one of the you know most famous, greatest hockey players of all time. I believe his father told him once that the main advice he gave them is don't skate to where the puck is, skate to where the puck is going to be, and that's <laughs> something that that has been something that Tim Cook, I mean that Steve Jobs took to heart. And when he tries to come up, when he came up with strategy, that's where he wanted Apple to be. I
1: know, I know. See, I've been going to accessibility since 2000. Now it's a bunch of accessibility consultants out there. I was just checking my competition today. So the puck is here now.
0: (laughs) So we've been going for about an hour. Hour and 15 minutes. So we should
1: probably wrap up.
0: Yeah. So the last thing we want to talk about, and I think we don't need to turn this into a topic because we have been discussing it on and off throughout the podcast so far, but we wanted to talk about how it transforms people's lives. And I think we've been kind of peppering it in around the entire podcast. But one of the things um, I wanted to talk about is uh, you've talked about how it's transformed your life, having being able to access technology like the iPhone, the iPad, and the the, the desktop and computers as well. But uh, I wanted to just mention, you know, there are users with severe physical disabilities uh, who cannot use a touchscreen. And you would think with a device like the iPad, which is essentially a giant piece of glass that is one giant touchscreen, that if you said... Well, someone has cerebral palsy and they can't move their hands, they obviously can't use the iPad, right? The iPad's just – maybe it's just not the right technology for that. Not true. Not true. And that's absolutely not true. And when iOS seven. 7 came out, they added this feature called switch control. And for a while, switch users, these are a user in a wheelchair, instead of pressing a button on the screen or instead of pressing a key on the keyboard, they would – hit a physical switch that basically, basically is an open and close. I'm hitting a switch or they use uh, a sip and puff switch. And actually, if you go to YouTube and search assistive technology, um, we've got uh, a video called meet Jared uh, assistive technology in action. And it's one of the first results. If you search assistive technology on YouTube, he uses a sip and puff switch. And that's a switch that is like a straw. And when he blows or he sucks on the straw, like you were drinking something from the straw, it, it, activates a switch and he used to have to use on the desktop special software to do that on the ipad only certain apps could do switch stuff and it was mostly communication apps and it worked okay but the developer had to develop it but then ios 7 comes out and it's got system system system-wide control for switch users so all of a sudden somebody with cerebral palsy who can't use their hands who has a Uh, Sip and Puff switches that they might use to control their wheelchair, for example, can now do everything on the iPad. And I mean everything. Um, I did a presentation recently, although Angry Birds was crashing on me, but I was going to demo that you can actually play Angry Birds, which involves me picking a precise section of the screen, simulating a tap and a drag back at an angle, and then a release. I can do all that with a single switch which could be activated from the slightest motion. And that is the type of thing Tim Cook's talking about when, they, when the engineers push back against the reality that maybe, oh, maybe this technology can't be used by these users. Well, no, they can use it. And now he's a system that out of the box is set up and easy to use.
1: It's because all of us have the right for entertainment. Don't we? The right for entertainment? Yes, the right for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Maybe that will be my next site. And with that Right for entertainment.
0: And with that feature too, I said Angry Birds, but he can do everything. He can access the keyboard. He could write emails. He could send messages. He could open up pages. He could write a document. He could write his whole book on there if he wanted to. With this. New... Okay,
1: I'm getting jealous now.
0: You're getting jealous?
1: Well, because the... blind people cannot play Angry Birds yet.
0: Yes, well, yeah, that's... That's something that that. uh, I can only work.
1: People just want me for my brain.
0: It's so tough to be you, Rachel. (laughs) Everyone wants you because you're so smart. (laughs) (laughs) But that's true, right? There's actually a a major limitation in games and uh, on the on the iPad, and there's a lot of games that really could be accessible with for screen readers, but they're not. People just don't know how to do that. So.
1: Because blind people don't play. Don't you know? (laughs) We're not fun.
0: I don't know, Rich. I've been hanging with you. You're pretty fun.
1: (laughs) Well, we can play some games.
0: But that's not really acceptable, right? I, I mean, no. I I don't. I want to play Angry Birds. You want to play Angry Birds and with audible cues and by using some of the accessibility. APIs built into iOS. I'm sure there's a way to make that happen. We just got to make sure that that becomes a priority for people.
1: Hang in there. That's another podcast, you gamer developers.
0: <laughs> That's right. So, I just I brought up Switch Access as an example, but I just wanted to point out that you know there's no limit to accessibility, and even when it seems like A device that's a big touchscreen maybe isn't right for a certain group of people. That doesn't have to be true. And we can push back against that. And Apple's doing a great job of giving us a lot of tools, but we also have to take those tools and we have to learn how to use them. And developers need to know how to embrace them. And that's going to really change lives. And it's going to turn that technology not into something that uh, you can just get by with, but something that you can thrive with.
1: Maybe we should change the name of our podcast to "Expect a Lot." <laughs> <laughs>
0: you expect a lot, then you can get a lot. So.
1: All right. So I think we should probably let people <clears throat> go now.
0: I think so. I think we've. Uh, I think we've given everybody a good look at what to expect in accessibility in iOS eight and. Mac OS X Yosemite and looked at sort of the attitude that Apple has towards accessibility as being a good representation on how technology companies should be looking at access. And uh, I, I I, think it, we've been telling lots of stories, but how it's just a, a life changing thing. And I, in addition to changing lives for individuals who really need to use technology, like I said, with the subtitles and things like that, it makes the tool better for everybody. So.
1: And I have been having a lot of fun. Because, you know, when you cannot play Angry Birds, what do you do? Podcast.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully, we'll see more podcasts then. Until we, until we, if we can get Angry Birds out, we can cut down the number of podcasts.
1: All right.
0: Uh, <laughs> less competition, right?
1: Well, the problem is I cannot talk with the Angry Birds. So, you know, I'm a talker.
0: That's true. That's true. <laughs> Well, we hope you enjoyed the very first episode of the Access Ninja podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast and more about Rachel and myself, visit us at access.ninja. That's right. Just type in access.ninja into your web browser. We'd also love to hear from you. If you've got feedback for us, ideas for new episodes, or general questions, send those to feedback at access.ninja.